The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. And it's because of that that we praise you and worship you. It's because of that that we gather together this morning as your body, the church, as your children, assembled as a holy temple, uh, where you come into our midst and meet with us. And Lord, we just ask this morning that as we worship you, as we uh, set aside our attention and our focus on you, that you in turn would meet us, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit and speak to us. Uh, Lord, we need to hear your voice. Uh, We need to hear you ministering uh, to the deepest parts of our life, and so we ask that you did. And you know, if, if we're truly Jesus' disciples, if you call yourself a Christian and you call yourself a disciple, a follower of Christ, then it means that we're going to live life just like he did, right? Because <clears throat> it means to be a follower. We're going to do what Jesus did, we're going to value what he valued. And so if we're going to be true disciples, true followers of Christ, prayer can't be an optional thing. Because it really was one of the core essential things of Jesus' life. It is the thing around which, it's, it's like the hub of the wheel around which Jesus built the rest of his life and ministry. And so if prayer isn't like that for us, if we can't honestly say that it's the core and center of our existence and everything else revolves around our prayer, then we're really not being true followers of Christ. We're not, we're not there yet, right? We're not to the place where we are possessing his model for life and ministry. So we want to look at that uh, over these next couple of weeks. And we want to pray like Jesus and learn how he did that. And as I, th- as I think about my own life, the problem of praying and why it's difficult, why it's such a battle, why it just doesn't work for me sometimes. In my own life, and again, you may have a lot of other ideas and thoughts. You may deal with different things, but I, I can only share with you what I battle with. And for me, it, it boils down to two large areas, two main areas where where prayer is difficult, or why I think it's difficult. And of course, there's the whole spiritual thing. I mean, the truth is that Satan doesn't want you to pray because he knows how powerful and effective it is. And so certainly Satan is working against us in every possible way to keep us from praying. But I'm not really talking so much about that. I'm talking about the internal obstacles I have in myself. Right? And for me, there's two main ones. Um, the first one is too many unanswered prayers. And to be honest, you know, this is the truth. This is out of my life. I prayed fervently and seriously for a lot of things, and I have claimed the, the promises. You know, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. You know, if you just believe, I will do it. And I've gone out with great confidence and boldness, and I prayed for great things, you know, and just knew God was going to do what I told him to, and he did it. <laughs> you know, and... and uh, you know, you strike out enough times, you don't want to go to bat anymore, right? Or you go to bat, but you go convinced that the pitcher is too good for you. Maybe if you're lucky, you'll get walked, but most likely you're just going to strike out. So you stand up there and you swing the bat, but it doesn't mean anything, right? Well, prayer kind of gets that way for me because, honestly, I've struck out too much. And so I know I'm supposed to pray, and I know it's an activity I'm supposed to be engaged with, but I think it's mostly pointless because, you know, nine times out of ten, it doesn't actually work. Now, we're not going to talk about that topic this morning. We're going to look at that more in the future, uh, next week. But let me look at the second large area of why prayer doesn't work, and that is that I am very much prayer ADD. When it comes to praying, 
I, I don't know if I'm ADD in other areas of life or not, but when it comes to praying, I am ADD, attention deficit disorder. I am super easily distracted, right? You go to pray, you go with all the intention and purpose, you heard a great sermon, you get fired up, I'm going to go pray. And, you know, you bow, you get on your knees even, you're going to take this really seriously, and you, get, you begin to pray, and you do good for like about 14 seconds, you know. And, uh, man, your brain just choo, launches off in some other place, and before you know it, your mind is a million miles away thinking about this problem and that problem and this argument you had and this thing you got to do, right? Like, oh, i got to pray, got to pray. Try to rein it back in. And, uh, you know, for me, it's conceivable to waste a whole hour chasing my brain, just chasing these random thoughts, you know, like herding cats. Just can never get it focused, right? And so when, when that's our experience in prayer, it gets a bit frustrating. And we feel like, hey, you know, I just, you know, people talk about this whole connecting with God, having this great moving experience, and I just feel like my brain is everywhere. And I think we live in a day and an age in a world that, that heightens that problem. Um, you know, everything around us is overstimulated, overcharged, over-entertainment driven. We get bombarded with a, a, a countless messages throughout the day. And uh, scientists are doing research and studies showing that we're actually, through all this media, through all the electronic gadgets, we're training our minds to be even more ADD. That we're losing the capacity to be focused and to stay with a thought for more than three seconds, right? That's why on TV, you know, if a scene lingers for like eight seconds, it's a boring movie. Right? It's slow. Things have got to be changing fast, fast, fast. Right? And our brain gets wired for that. So how do we deal with all these things, our, our distractions, and, and uh, how do we become more focused in prayer? Well, I want to look at uh, the end of chapter 10 of Luke. Uh, the story of uh, Martha and Mary, familiar story you probably know, but let me read uh, from Luke chapter 10. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits there while I do all the work? Tell her to get up and help me. Uh, but the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. Um, That's a great picture, and it really pictures two people. One, super ADD, right? can't sit still, bouncing all over the place like a ping pong ball. And one who is very focused. One who has learned how to sit at Jesus' feet and be in his presence, right? Mary and Martha. So let's look at these two ladies, uh, and let's see if we can learn from them. First, of course, Martha is the distracted one. Uh, She cannot focus on things. And it's very interesting. Uh, It says that, starts off the passage by saying that Martha welcomes Jesus into her home, right? And by that act, we get a picture of a lady who genuinely wants to know Jesus, right? She, um, she heard Jesus was coming into town, into Bethany, uh, not far from Jerusalem. And she gets word that Jesus is coming. They had a relationship. Of course, uh, these are the sisters of Lazarus. And we know that, that Jesus often visited them. So she, she knew Jesus and she had a relationship with him. And she, she wants relationship with Jesus, right? 
She gladly welcomes. She says, Jesus, you've got to come to my house. She extends an invitation. She said, Lord, please come to my house. And uh, I want to I hang out with you. Right? Uh, she's intentional about this. She desires this. Okay? So this is not a person who, for whom Jesus doesn't mean anything. Jesus means a great deal to her. Uh, and she, um, she invites him in. And that's where, that's where prayer begins with us. You know, we invite Jesus in. We long for a relationship with him. We, uh, we invite him to come into our soul where we can commune and fellowship with him. And that's what she does. Uh, and the, the, the amazing thing is that Jesus graciously accepts her offer. Right? Anytime, anytime in, in the Gospels that Jesus is invited into somebody's home, Jesus always goes. If it's a scribe, a Pharisee, uh, a teacher of the law, a Roman, it doesn't matter. Jesus loves to go meet with us. Isn't that the cool, th- cool thing? If you invite Jesus, this is the thing. If you invite Jesus, say, Jesus, you know, I'd really like to just spend a few minutes talking with you. You'll never get the response, you know, Tim, I'm kind of busy right now. <laughs> Couldn't this wait? <laughs> You'll never get that with Jesus. Okay? He is longing for relationship with you. In fact, you know, John says in, in Revelation, he's standing at the door knocking. And knocking, and knocking, hello, hello, is anybody there, right? Wanting to come in, wanting relationship with us. So here's the cool thing, anytime we go to prayer, anytime we want to meet with Jesus, anytime we want relationship with him, he's there, he's waiting, he's longing. We invite him and he is eager to come in and to converse with us and meet with us. And so that's what he does. Ironically, though, the, the, the scene changes quite quickly. So Martha opens the door, ushers Jesus in, gives him a nice seat, and poof, Mary disappears. She's gone in a cloud of dust, off to the kitchen, right? And um, so you get this scene where Mary, Martha has invited Jesus in, and Jesus is sitting there, kind of looking around. And uh, along comes Mary. And Mary sits at Jesus' feet and uh, begins listening as Jesus teaches her. This is a great picture, okay? Martha invites him in. Martha's the one who initiated the relationship. Martha's the one who uh, wants to engage. But she's gone, and Mary's the one who's sitting there listening. So what happened to, what happened to Martha? Where did she go? Well, it says that she is distracted uh, by the big dinner. Uh, literally, it says she's distracted by her ministry. Okay, the word that's used there, word is diakonos, Ministry, her ministering to Jesus. And we'll get to that in a minute. But first of all, it says she's distracted. Okay, that's ADD. In other words, we're getting a clue right off the bat that Martha is a very ADD personality. Okay, because that's what ADD means. It means you are very easily distracted. And I love that it uses that word. She is distracted by ministry. And the word literally has the idea to be drawn away, to be distracted, to be driven about mentally to be overly occupied and too busy. Okay. Does that describe, I mean, that describes perfectly my prayer life. You know? <laughs> uh, drawn away, distracted, driven about mentally, overly occupied, too busy. Okay, that, that, just, that just paints a perfect picture of my prayer life. Okay. And so I get this picture of Martha being pulled in many different directions. She's being pulled here, pulled there, pulled all over the place. And not just pulled singularly to one thing that is drawing her away, but as we see later, it says she is, she's worried about many things. Right? She's being pulled in, in all kinds of different directions, 
all over the place, right? So she's going to get Jesus a water, but on the way to get him a glass of water, she sees that the bread is burning, so she goes to fix the bread and forgets that the soup is overcooking. And she's just, and then she forgot to buy, you know, cucumbers, and da 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 And she's just, you know, this whirlpool of activity. Uh, and interestingly, it says that she, it says that she is distracted by ministry, right? And I love that term, and I don't think it's an accident that Luke uses that word. And it's the word that in other parts of Scripture would, it would describe uh, Christians doing ministry, doing their work, doing their labor of service to God. Uh, and, and herein starts to unfold a little bit of the problem. Right? What, Mary, what Martha is distracted with is her own ministry to Jesus. Right? What, is, what is distracting her, what is a problem for her is her desire to serve and take care of Jesus. Right? And I think for us this is, this is very important. right? Because chances are most of us in this room are, are Christians, are involved in some kind of Christian work or ministry. We have a, we have a heart to serve God. And, uh, and that's a good thing. Right? It's a good thing. Uh, and in fact, God calls us to ministry. In fact, it's very interesting the context of this, of this passage. This story fits between two very interesting and kind of what would seem contrasting stories in the book of Luke. And as you know, the gospel writers didn't just throw all the stories into a bag and pull them out randomly and stick them together. They're very deliberate about the ordering of these stories. In fact, oftentimes the ordering of the stories tells us so much, as much teaches us and informs us as much as the story itself. So what's the story before this? Well, the story before this is actually the story of the Good Samaritan. Right? where uh, uh, a young man comes and he wants to know the way to eternal life. And, and Jesus says, uh, you know, if, if you want to be eternal life, you need to do the law. And he says, what's the law? He says, well, love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, great, you do that, you're in. Right? And this guy started to get a little nervous because he knew you know, the loving God was one thing, but loving the neighbor was kind of up for interpretation. So he comes back to Jesus, well, who really is my neighbor? Right? And he's trying to justify himself. And so Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan to, to show that true followers of Christ are people who serve, who minister, who have compassion for the needs of those around them. Right? And, uh, and at the end of the story, Jesus says, look, if you want to be my disciple, you need to go and do likewise. Right? Uh, you need to be engaged in ministry. You need to be showing compassion and love to those in, in need around you. The problem is if we stop right there in the story, we could get a very wrong understanding of what Jesus was saying. That story taken out of context by itself could mean that anybody, if they're Buddhist, if they're Muslim, if they're atheist, who's a good deed doer, uh, who invests their life in helping the poor, is a good person and has eternal life. And of course we know that's not true. Too much of scripture teaches otherwise. It's not just about doing good deeds. And so Luke is aware of that as well. And so he puts this story here to balance, as a counterbalance, to what Jesus taught about the Good Samaritan. And, uh, you know, he highlights Martha, who was in many ways a Good Samaritan. Kind of a Good Samaritan on steroids, actually. Right? She was a Good Samaritan who was wound up way too tight. Right? And took ministry way too seriously. Right? Now, it wasn't that she should not have been serving. It wasn't that it was wrong or sinful for her to be ministering to Jesus. But she had things out of order. Okay, things were not lining up in the proper, correct order. And so 
Jesus, and in, in Luke, as he puts these stories together, wants to correct that. And he goes, in fact, the rest of the context as you go into chapter 11, Jesus teaches on prayer. And so what, what we get in this story is really a picture of what prayer is in relationship to life and ministry. Right? And, uh, and what Jesus says here, look, you're, you're too distracted by ministry. You're getting too caught up in this whole doing good thing. Okay? You're... You're not getting the real story of the Good Samaritan, and you're, you're taking that in a way that's very out of balance. Right? We need to restore some order and balance here. And the problem is that it was distracting her from the things that were uh, most important. Um, are we ever distracted by ministry? <laughs> is anybody here ever distracted, uh, taken in the wrong direction by ministry? Uh, it's a life age old problem, and Andrew Murray, who writes a lot on prayer and from whom I've gained a lot of uh, mentoring really on prayer, uh, in one of his books on prayer writes this, and he's speaking in he, he, the context of Andrew Murray, he, he's a missionary pastor in, in, uh, in southern Africa. Uh, he is there, grew up there, came back as a missionary, and is uh, leading a denominational mission as well as pastoring a church, right? And he believes that prayer is vital to their success in ministry. And at a convention, he taught, in fact, everywhere he went, he taught about prayer, a lot about prayer. And uh, at one of these conferences, this is what he shares. He says, during the Regent Square Convention two years ago, the subject came up in conversation with a well-known London minister. He urged that if so much time must be given to prayer, it would involve, and get this, it would involve the neglect of the imperative calls of duty. Okay, in other words, you know, if I spend that much time in prayer, it will take me away from my ministry. Right? And, and he quotes him. He says, there is the morning post, which, you know, for those of you who are younger, back in the old days, they actually didn't have email and Facebook, and they actually used paper and pencil to write. And you would actually write it on the paper and put it in a little envelope and put a stamp on it and mail it. Right? They called that post. Okay, so there is the morning post. Okay, translated, I got tons of email. Okay, um, and and that before breakfast, with ten or twelve letters which must be answered. Okay, then there are committee meetings waiting, with numberless other engagements, more than enough to fill up the day. It is difficult to see how it can be done. In other words, how I can squeeze prayer into all this ministry activity, right? Uh, His answer is this. My answer was, in substance, that it was simply a question of whether the call of God for our time and attention was of more importance than that of man. If God was waiting to meet us and waiting to give us blessing and power from heaven for his work, it was a short-sighted policy to put other work in the place which God and waiting on him should have. Can ministry be a distraction? Boy, can it be a distraction. It can be an idol. And that's what happens. when What this guy is describing here is he's saying, look, Andrew, ministry is my idol. Okay? And it's not an idol I'm ready to lay down. I'm not ready to dethrone that idol and put God as the supreme thing in my life. Right? And see, that's what happens when, and, 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 and believe me, I, I, have, I struggle with this, you know. 
God, I have so many important things for, to do for You. I'm so busy being a good Samaritan, saving the world, you know, being the Messiah. It's not easy being a Messiah, you know. And uh, I don't have time for prayer, right? Because I've got important things to do. And this is clearly not that important. Um, like this pastor, you know, we, we are pressed in by emails, meetings, appointments, phone calls, helping people, serving, taking kids here and there, going to thousands of school activities, running in circles, chasing our tail. Uh, are these good things? Many of them are good things. Maybe all of them are good things. Maybe all of them are important things. But the question is, are these, have these things come to be more important to you than Jesus himself, right? If that's true, we have a problem. We have a serious problem, right? And, uh, and, 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 and this is Martha. Okay, this is Martha. She's distracted by ministry. Uh, and and I, love, I, love, I love Martha's approach. Okay, so, so here's the picture. You know, she welcomes Jesus in, Messiah God, Mr., you know, very infinite love and goodness, mercy and kindness, uh, truth, right? Jesus is in your house, and uh, Martha's convinced she's going to serve him. She's going to take care of Jesus because Jesus needs her help. And so she's going to minister to Jesus. And so she's got herself distracted by and pulled in a thousand different directions. She's got herself worked up, and she needs help because she's realizing that she can't serve Jesus and do ministry by herself. And so she starts comparing her with her sister, and she looks around and says, where is that Mary anyway? And she looks out into the living room and sitting, just sitting there is Mary just sitting with Jesus of all things, of all the nerve, right? And this just makes her mad. I mean, she's just ticked off at this, oh, fuming mad, right? She storms out there and says, Jesus, look at her. She's just sitting there. And I'm working and doing all this stuff. Tell her to help me, right? That's pretty spiritual, right? <laughs> Making a good impression on Jesus here. You know, she's just, she's just beside herself, frustrated, right? What, what are some signs of trouble in your life? What are some signs that ministry may be taking too much priority and, and importance? Your work, your serving, your job, whatever it is, is, is dominating your life, Okay. What are some signs that those things, those distractions are pulling you in all kinds of different directions? Well, uh, if your ministry is making you a grouch, it's a sign, right? If, uh, if your spouse, your kids go, you know, dad, mom, you're, you're really kind of grouchy, right? Okay, that's a sign that something's not working right. Because ministry shouldn't make us grouchy. Serving shown compassion and love and mercy is not supposed to make us grouchy, right? If we become grouchy, irritable, we're attacking people, we're bitter, bent out of shape, frustrated, wound up, have ulcers, need medication, right? That's a sign. It's a sign something's wrong. Okay, that's a sign your priorities are not as they should be, right? Um, when, when we re- resent other people, when we start comparing ourselves with other Christians, right, that's a sign something's wrong. And especially when we start, you know, their ministry can't be as good as mine. They're not working as hard as me. They're not doing as, they're not accomplishing what I am. If they were really spiritual, they would be helping me, right? Those are all signs that something's wrong. Something is, is out of focus. And ministry has become for us an idol. Uh, 
a sign of trouble is when ministry has become a burden we must do. Right? A burden we must do. That's what happened here. Her, Martha's service was not joyful, heartfelt service that come at, comes out of a heart of delight and, 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 and meaning. It was a burden. It was a duty, right? Uh, you know, we, we call it a lot of things. We call it burnout. We call it stressed out. We call it a lot of things. But when ministry has become a burden, it means it's taken the wrong place in our life. There's something out of order. Um, <clears throat> and and what, what Martha's suffering here is, is simple prayer ADD, you know. She is. Uh, she has wrong priorities. She's made ministry far too important, and it has distracted her from what really matters. Right? This is this is what prayer often is for us. We know we want to pray. We know prayer is important. We want to set aside time to pray. We we, we go somewhere. We pray. We we come before God, but because we've gotten things so out of order. Even when we try to pray, we invite Jesus in, we welcome him into our house, all these things that we think are so important start pulling us this way and that way, right? And we find it impossible to just stand before Jesus and to listen to him speak to us. Right? Uh, you know, you've heard the book, The Call of the Wild, this uh, wild dog that is domesticated, but as it grows and, and uh, it's constantly hearing this call of the wild, the call of the, the wolf pack calling it back. Well, we don't suffer from the call of the wild. We, we suffer from the call of the text message, right? You, you go to pray and, you know, the, the phone goes off and, and, you know, there's emails beeping on your computer. Beep, you know, that's good. I love how they, you know, it announces when they come in. Beep. And uh, there's meetings and there's schedules and those things press on us and are calling to us. Come here, Tim. This way, this way, right? And we just cannot focus our thoughts on Jesus, right? Um, it goes on and explains more of the problem. So she's distracted by ministry. She's also pulled in all these different directions and by two chief things. Uh, the first one, he says, you know, you are anxious and worried. You're anxious and worried. Simple uh, has the idea of being troubled with cares. It also has the idea of somebody who's very busy caring or looking out for someone, right? Uh, if you're the kind of person who really needs to take care of other people, really needs to fix things, really needs to solve problems, and if you're the kind of person that your wife says to you, you know, honey, um, when, when I share things with you, I'm really not asking you to fix it, okay? I'm really not asking for advice. I just want you to understand, okay, you're one of these people. I'm one of those people, right? Um, we're going to fix everything. You know, you're worried about so many things. You're constantly trying to solve every problem. Right? Okay, this is you. Uh, you're, you're Martha. Okay, maybe we all are. Also, it says you are, you're, you're anxious. You're, you're concerned about taking care of everybody, everything. You're, you're trying to fix and solve every problem. Secondly, you are upset. You are troubled. The word literally means to be turbulent to throw into confusion, to, have a tr to be troubled in mind, right? So we're just agitated in our thoughts. Ever been there? Thoughts are just churning up all the time, right? So that's what happens. When we're ADD, when we've made ministry or made other things more important than Jesus, and we've let those things 
uh, pull us, have, have a tug in our life, that's the result. We end up worried, anxious, troubled, confused. Our minds are chaos, right? Not a good place to be. And, and, and Jesus didn't say, it doesn't just say you're troubled by one or two things. He says, you are pulled, you are troubled, you are anxious about many things. Many, many things, right? Many things. You're pulled in countless directions. Uh, and so this is how it works. This is how I think it works in life. Here's a, here's a picture. Uh, back in, a long time ago, I used to do these backpack trips with high school kids. And I remember this one particular area where we were. We started hiking up the trail. Got, it was first day out, got our backpacks on had the kids hiking up the trail. And the first day is always a little tough because, you know, the packs are the heaviest. The kids aren't really used to hiking very far yet. And normally you kind of take a pretty slow, easy day, and you don't plan on going very far. So we hiked a little ways and stopped. And at our very first stop, instantly, every mosquito on planet Earth swarmed us. I mean, it was unbelievable. And these things were like, had saddles and people riding them. They were huge. Just these monster mosquitoes. And... I mean, instantly, literally, they were just covering us and biting, you know. And so we said, okay, forget the break. And we put the packs back in and start walking again. And as long as we were walking, the mosquitoes were, you know, flying to try to catch up. But every time you stopped for two seconds, man, they were instantly all over you. It was great. It was the best first day we ever had. I mean, those kids flew up the mountain because you just didn't dare stop, right? Uh, great incentive. After that, I was praying for mosquitoes every trip. Um, Thankfully, we got up high, uh, to a high enough altitude and there were no mosquitoes, so praise God for that. Well, this is how I think it works. You know, when we, um, when, when we live life this way, when our life is just this whirlwind of, of distraction, caught up in ministry and our events and activities and what we're doing, what we are about, and, and we're not able to sort all that out and put it in its right place, it's just like those pesky mosquitoes, right? As long as we're moving, as long as we just keep moving and don't stop, then we don't, we don't know, we, and we're not overwhelmed by all this stuff. But as soon as we stop for five minutes to pray, all that stuff just comes crashing in us like a storm of mosquitoes. And all of a sudden, our mind just is like popcorn. Right? Ever been there? I've been there lots. Okay? So we decide it's better to just keep moving. Right? Just, you know, this whole silent, solitude, quiet thing, bad idea. Just keep moving. Just keep moving. Right? Just keep it going. And if you've got to stop... Make sure you turn on the TV or music or some other diversion because uh, that somehow also keeps the mosquitoes away, right? But if I stop and sit still and try to pray, try to be silent, try to have quietness before God, whoosh, it all comes crashing in on me. So I'm not going there, right? I'm not going there. Well, uh, how do we ever get out of that battle? How do we ever undo that? Well, Mary had mastered it, okay? Whatever Martha was, Mary was definitely the opposite. So let's look real briefly at a couple of things that Mary did right. Jesus says, um, Martha, you, you are so worried, so upset, so troubled about all these things, about so many things. And then he says this. He says, there is only one thing that is needed. Okay, there is only one need. It's real important to stop and really think about those words. Jesus says, you only need one thing. And Mary has figured this out. Mary's got the right perspective. And if you want to unhook from this ADD life, and especially ADD, prayer ADD, it's to come to the point where you realize that there, you really only need one thing. 
Okay, you only need one thing. And that's what Jesus says here. He says, Mary has come to learn the lesson that she only really needs one thing. Now, uh, I want you to think for a minute. What is the one thing you need? What is the one and only thing you need? Now, if I think about what I need, I come up with a pretty long list of things I think I need. But Jesus said, you only need one thing, right? And she has found it. She has chosen wisely the one thing that she really needs, right? Uh, Well, what is the one thing? Anybody? More work. (laughs) Jesus, right? What is the one thing that Mary needed and she found and would never be taken? Jesus says she's found the one thing and she has chosen it and it will never be taken away from her. It's Jesus, right? Jesus is all you need. Jesus is the one thing. And even though Jesus was about to, he was on his way to Jerusalem, he was in fact about to die. He would be buried, would rise again, and would ascend forever to heaven, uh, forever as far as Mary knew. But Jesus said that doesn't matter because what she has found will never be taken away from her. Even though I may be going to heaven, the truth is she will have me forever. Uh, That is the one thing. And she made a conscious, deliberate decision to pursue that one thing. She said, you know, all I really need in life, I don't need all this stuff, I don't need to serve, I don't need to be busy, I don't need to do a lot of things. What I need is Jesus, right? What I need is Jesus. And she made a conscious, deliberate choice that she was going to pursue Jesus. Now, you may be thinking, well, does this mean monks are better than missionaries? Okay, monks are people who do nothing but pray. Missionaries are people who do everything but pray. (laughs) Monks are people who do nothing but pray. Missionaries are people who do everything but pray. Uh, It's important to see this in the context of the Good Samaritan on the front end. And on the back end, Jesus gives a parable and prayer about a friend who comes to minister and, and provide bread for his friend who came and visited. Okay? This is not about you know, us all going up into some remote, secluded place, becoming hermits and monks, and spending 24 hours a day just contemplating Jesus. Okay? Not what it's about. Jesus said already, if you love me, if you're my follower, you will be helping those in need. You will be a good Samaritan. You ought to be serving. There will be ministry. But here's the question. Do you need ministry? The truth is, a lot of us do ministry because we need ministry, right? Do you need to be busy? A lot of us need to be busy because it's where we get our identity, right? It fulfills something in us, right? We're busy, we're, we're ministry, we, we have all these emails and we generate all this work because it makes us feel important. It makes us feel like we're somebody, right? And see, the problem isn't that we do ministry or don't do ministry or we you know, either pray or go out and serve people. That's not the point. The, the, the real question is, what is the one thing you need above everything else? What is the one driving thing in your life that you need desperately? See, if our answer to that question is, I need to be busy. I need to be doing ministry. I need to be serving God because otherwise my life won't mean anything. Right? I want everything to write back in my prayer letters. <laughs> I need that, right? I need to be active because it meets a need in my life. Then that thing has become an idol, right? 
What do you need? What is the one thing in your life you need? If we're convinced, if we're absolutely convinced that the one thing I need in my life is Jesus, and that everything else flows out from that, everything else becomes just the outpouring of my relationship with Him, and whatever ministry I do or don't do, whatever happens, it's just a natural flow out of Jesus meeting my needs and taking care of me and using me, making me His child. It changes everything. Um, You know, it's, it's kind of like this. If, um, and, and the way we measure this, okay, the way we, here's how we measure what's really important to us. We don't measure it by what we say. We always have to measure it by our calendar, right? As you evaluate your schedule, your timeline, how much time do you give to Jesus? If he's really the one thing that's most important, the one thing you need, how much time do you give to him, Right? Now, here's a picture of it. Suppose I say to my wife, you know, dear, you're, you're the most important person outside of Jesus, you know, but in, humanly speaking, you're the most important person in my life. And because you're so important, I'm going to give you three minutes every day. Okay? So start talking. Give 2.30 seconds, 2.15. Yeah, come on, come on. Okay. Because I've got meetings, I've got important things, I've got people, I've got places to go. But I love you so much, I'm giving you three minutes. Right? How important is she? Right? Do we say that to Jesus? And I'm not about to set formulas of time. You know, like, what's, what's the right amount of time to pray? In fact, next week we're going to look at that, of what a good prayer life looks like, okay? And I'm not about to say that if you pray for an hour, you've arrived. If you pray for three hours, you've arrived, okay? Five hours. I, I don't even want to go there, because that's not the point, right? But there is something about how we arrange our schedule and our time. Is Jesus a priority, is prayer a priority, right? If we're convinced that we desperately need him, it will become a great priority. Uh, imagine that you have a, you're, out, you're out camping uh, in the Thai jungle somewhere. I don't know why you would do this, but let's say you are. And uh, maybe you're on a mission. Evangelize some lost tribe. And you're out there, and, and one of your children gets bit by a snake, right? And uh, you're very worried. It looks like one of these very poisonous snakes, and... There happens to be a, a, a village guy there who knows all about herbal medicine. He goes, yeah, this is a very serious bite, and your child's going to die. But there's a cure, and he, he finds a flower, and he picks this flower, and he says, if we can get enough of these flowers, I can make a potion uh, that will counteract the, the venom. Okay? But we have about three hours. So right now you need to go out into the jungle, and you need to search, and you need to find a basket full of these flowers. Right? And then you bring it back, and if we can do this within three hours, your daughter will be fine. She'll be completely cured, okay? Let me ask you this. How ADD would you be if that was the case, right? Or how focused would you be? Would you go out into the jungle and, you know, start chasing butterflies and get distracted by the river and start fishing and go, oh, here's some other pretty flowers. I've never seen these before, right? Or would you be intently focused on finding that one flower, of course you would be. You'd be incredibly focused. Because need clarifies our focus. Right? If we really believed we needed Jesus that much, if we really believed he was the one thing we desperately need, we wouldn't be so ADD. Right? We would be incredibly focused. We would be incredibly diligent and earnest to seek and to find him. Right? We would be like Mary. We would be driven to him. We would plant ourselves at his feet and we would long for him. 
Well, second thing that is notable about Mary, um, and we'll just wrap up with this, is that she, she did sit at his feet, right? Because Jesus was more important to her than anything, she could block out all the distractions. She could sit before him. And what did she do when she was there? Well, it says simply that she listened to him teach, right? She listened. Um, for me, and let me, this is just a very practical thing. This may not seem real spiritual, but let me just give you some very practical things I think will help with prayer ADD. Um, and, and here's the thing. For me, if I go to prayer and I start off with my prayers, okay, whatever they are, uh, it never works. It never works. But when I do this, when I decide the first job of prayer is to go find Jesus and to plant myself before him and hear him speak to me, uh, it's not always easy. And like Martha, I find myself making several trips to the kitchen and the bathroom and all over the place. But if I, if I will make it my mission, my goal, to find Jesus and plant myself before him and hear him speak to me, I start off on a good, on a good foot, right? So what does that look like practically? Well, for me, it means, you know, he has spoken to us in his word. So for me, I start prayer with the word, with scripture, right? Because I don't know of an easier, more instant, direct access to God and to Christ than through his word. Uh, and for me, I need this. And maybe you're not like this. Maybe you can do things the other way. This is just a suggestion. But for me, to focus my mind, I have to start with scripture. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.